0: Anybody glad to be on the right side of this whole little war that goes on in the world? Uh, Boy, it sometimes does look like Satan's way far ahead, right? And he's beating us down and he's winning. He never wins. He never wins. We're in the middle of a series, as you know, we just started it uh, last week, called Heaven Versus Hell. And and so in this series, we're kind of unpacking the biblical teachings about heaven and hell and showing some of the dynamics of all this. And uh, there's a lot of confusion about this, you know, we're going to talk very specifically about heaven and hell and what they're like, uh, but people do have a lot of questions. In fact, if you look at some of the studies that are going on nowadays, personal belief in hell is declining. Way more people are saying they don't believe in hell. Uh, A lot of people believe in heaven. It's interesting to believe in heaven and not believe in hell. People just think everyone's going to heaven. And the studies are showing this is a more and more common type of a mindset. And uh, even people who claim to be Christians, they profess to be Christians, born-again Christians, say that they don't believe in hell because they have this basic question. And maybe you've thought of this question. Maybe this has troubled you at times. How could a loving God send someone to hell? It's a good question, isn't it? How could a loving God send someone to hell? And so we're we're not going to shy away from this. We're going to be very direct with it today. Today we are going to talk about this topic of hell and what the Bible has to say about it. And I think we're going to find there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Now, just just to set things up for a minute, I want to talk about the things that make us angry for a minute. Just think about this for yourself. Now, over the past week, has anybody in the room gotten angry at all in the past week? At least once? So I'm not the only one. Uh, I struggle a little bit with with this sometimes in my life. And, uh, you know, you look at the things that make you angry, and and, and if you're honest for a minute, you start to think about it. You know, a lot of the things that make us angry really are not very significant, right? We get angry about some small stuff sometimes. And, uh, you know, most of the things that make us angry probably aren't worth it, right? So if you think about your past week and the things that you got angry about, were they worth it? Maybe, I mean, sometimes maybe, but most of the time, if you're really honest, they really weren't worth it. Things blew up, they became something that got out of control maybe sometimes. Maybe there's some conflict in your home with your kids, with your spouse, maybe with a brother or sister, maybe it's with your parents. And at the end of the day, are these things really worth it all the time? Now, if you do have kids in the home... It doesn't take you long to figure out that that kids lose their temper over small stuff sometimes. I got a couple of five-year-olds that live in my house, and so there's never a dull moment at my house. Uh, We got five-year-old twins. It's never boring, especially when one of them loses their temper. Now, little Bella, over the past couple of weeks, has been having a rough time. I don't know what it is, but every now and then, she just loses it, completely loses it. If you know Bella, she looks like the cutest, sweetest little thing. You know, if you know her, she's got a little Irish temper on her that is unbelievable, and so a couple of weeks ago, uh, what happened was is she wanted a popsicle. And she came up to me and says, Daddy, can I have a popsicle? I said, no, honey. You have to eat your dinner soon. You would have thought I just stole the most valuable thing in the world from this little kid. She just completely lost it. She threw herself on the ground, started screaming, kicking her feet on the ground, saying, I want a popsicle, I want a popsicle, and just completely went berserk. And if you're a parent in one of these moments, you know, you try to figure out, what am I even going to do with this? You know, I mean, she's just completely out of control. You, You know, can you see the picture? She's on the ground, kicking, flailing, screaming at the top of her lungs, I want a popsicle, and is just spitting mad at me. And looking at me with fire in her eyes. And I'm like, where did this come from? From this tiny little girl. And so I decided I would try a little good parental psychology in that moment. So I got right down on her level while she's crying. And I just looked at her and I said, Bella, do you love that popsicle more than you love me? And she just stares at me. She doesn't even know what to say. And she pauses. And I, I'm hoping she's not pausing because she's thinking about the answer. Right? <laughs> I really hope that's not the case. But finally, she just looks up to me and her sweet. She she completely stopped crying. Like that question, got her to stop dead in her tracks. And she paused, and finally she she looks up to me. She says, "No, Daddy, I love you more than the popsicle." I said, "Well, Bella, then why are you so angry with me? Why are you treating me so badly over the popsicle?" She looks up at me again, pauses for a minute. Because I want a popsicle, and started crying all over again. But isn't this how it is sometimes? Now, as much as I hate to admit it, in that moment when she is just going berserk on me over a popsicle, in that minute, she does value that popsicle more than she values me. And this is what happens to us sometimes when we lose our temper. Our values get all out of whack sometimes. And this doesn't just happen to little kids. It happens to you and me too. Road rage, anybody have it? Somebody, or this one, now this one gets me sometimes. The person in front of me is driving too slow. I'm in a hurry. I get mad at him, I honk my horn, you know, and you you do this. And and so you have a little bit, or someone cuts you off. God forbid somebody cuts you off on the road. And sometimes the rage that just comes over you in that moment. And if you're honest, what's happening to you in that moment is your precious time means more to you than that human being created in the image of God. And that's what's happening in those moments. And it's not just moments like that. I mean, there are other moments like this in life. You know, uh, how about when you stub your toe on something that somebody left in the way? This happened to me the other day. Tara put this little box right in front of the bathroom door. And I've stubbed my toe on it. And I, I, I have a moment where I'm like, I'm mad over this. And I snap sometimes, and I'll say things to her. And, 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 and in those moments, I value my own personal comfort more than I value the other person. She didn't do that on purpose, and I know that, and sometimes I get married. I'm, I'm a clean freak. Any clean freaks in the house? Anybody that like a neat, nice, clean house? Do you live with someone who's not like that? Oh my goodness, I come home some days, because I, I, I'm definitely the neat freak in my house. It's not like all the rest of them are slobs, only they are, but I'm a neat freak, you know, and I like things to be a certain way, and it makes me irritable, and I'll come home sometimes, and I will just be irritable, because the house isn't the way I think it should be. And, and I'm not trying to make myself sound like a jerk. I'm just trying to be vulnerable to you. Uh, I have issues sometimes, right? I'm an Irish boy. I have a little bit of a temper I struggle with sometimes. And, and this happens to me, and I know it happens to all of us. And, and the cold, hard truth is that a lot of the time when we lose our temper, it's over things that just aren't worth it. Our value system gets all out of whack, And and here's the profound truth that we have to understand. This is true. Wrath shows worth. This is going to be the big idea I want us to kind of rally our minds around tonight as we talk about some things together. But I really think this is a, a very profound truth, and if you really think about it, I think you'll agree with it. Wrath shows worth. The things you get angry about show what you value. This is true of little Bella. It's true of you and me. If we're honest, most of the time, things are not really worth it. But can't we agree that sometimes there are big things that happen? I mean, sometimes things really are worth it. I mean, think about this for a minute. What if somebody were to harm or abuse your child in some way? I'll tell you right now, you harm or abuse my child, my wrath will be seen. I'm not very big, but I'm scrappy. But I'm serious about this. And and I know this is true of a lot. If you're a parent in the room, somebody harms your child, mama bear or papa bear comes out. Isn't that true? And some things just are worth it. And the intensity of our wrath in those moments shows how much our children are worth to us. Wrath shows worth. I, I recently read a story about a father. He lives in a small town in Rhode Island. And 30 years ago, his five-year-old son was kidnapped and murdered by a neighbor. And I, I read this story, and it kind of gripped me because I've got two five-year-olds at home. And could you imagine? I, I can't even begin to imagine something like this. How would you react? Somebody murders your five-year-old. Think Evan and Bella. Those of you that know my little five-year-olds, somebody were to do this to them. I don't even know how I would act in those moments. And so this story grabbed my attention and, and so the guy that, that, that did this, the guy that kidnapped and, and killed the 5-year-old child has been in prison for almost a little bit over 30 years and is, is uh, because of good behavior, about to get out of prison. And the news was interviewing the father about this, wanting to know what he thought of the killer of his son having a chance to get out of prison. And I'll have to tell you what the father said. I mean, he said what most of us probably would say. Here's what the father said. He said this, he says, here's what I'd like to say about that. He says, I will kill him if he's released. The man is a monster. You should tell him to stay out of sight, stay out of my way, or he's going to hurt, and he's going to hurt badly. This was 30 years ago. And we can all relate to that, can't we? Just that feeling. Now, I'm not trying to justify human vengeance, right? The Bible says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So I'm not justifying what this man is saying, but I can relate to it. Wrath shows worth, and some things at least feel like they're really worth it. I don't know what I would do if somebody did something like this to one of my kids, which, which brings us to the biblical teaching of hell for a minute about God's wrath, right, and the, and the existence of this place called hell. And so what we're going to find as we step into this topic, and, and by the way, I tiptoe into this topic Uh, I am not excited about talking about hell. And I hope you're not excited to hear about it. But it's important. We've got to talk about it. If it's real, if the biblical descriptions of it are true, we've got to understand what it is and why it exists and why do people go there. And how how do we keep people from going there? What we're going to find is this idea that wrath shows worth is also true of God, and so I just want to point you to a Bible passage that I think makes this clear, and then we'll start to unpack this a little bit together. But uh, my hope is that at some point during this message, you get a tear in your eye. You should not talk about hell without tears. It it ought to break your soul in many ways that such a place exists and that there are actually people who go there. It breaks God's heart. We're going to find this. It's true. It it, it is an expression of God's wrath. And, And God's wrath does show what God values. And we're going to step into this and we're going to tiptoe into it. But let's look at Romans 9. And it won't feel like a tiptoe when you read this passage. This is Romans 9, verses 22 and 23. It says, God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, Has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory. So don't miss that. God is showing his wrath. He's got these vessels of wrath that are going to experience this thing that that the passage is calling destruction. God's going to show his wrath. And why is he going to do it? It says, in order to make known something. And so God's showing his wrath in order to reveal something, to make something known. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. And so do you see what this passage is saying? God chooses to show his wrath... In order to make known the riches of his glory. Or in other words, God's wrath shows how much his glory is worth. Wrath shows worth. God shows his wrath in order to show how much his glory is worth. Now, the word glory is a pretty difficult one to define. If I asked you to define it for me, I'm not sure you could do a very good job. It's one of those words. it's kind of like the word beauty. Think about defining the word beauty. You can't really do it. All you can do is understand it when you see it, right? This is how it is of the word beauty, and it's true of the word glory as well. You can't define it very well, but when you see it, you can understand it, and you can know how valuable it is and what it's worth. God's glory has to be seen to be understood and appropriately valued. And and so you think about seeing God's glory, And how do you do that? How how do you get a sense for what is it that that God is worth? There's only really one way I know of in the Bible to do this. One way to clearly see and to praise God's glory. And they find it in, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Here's what it says. It says, the sun, this is talking about Jesus. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And so if you want to see the worth of God's glory, if you want to see see the greatness of God, you look at Jesus. Jesus is where you find the glory of God on display. Jesus is the manifestation of God's glory, the exact imprint of God's nature. When you look at Jesus, you see what the apostle Paul called the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ you want to know how important Jesus is? Jesus is the closest you're ever going to get to seeing the face of God. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact imprint of his nature. You want to see God's glory, you see it in the face of Jesus Christ. When you read the stories about him in the scripture, The way he lived, the things he did, the healings, laying down his life for us, displaying the greatest love anybody's ever known, forgiving the most weak and helpless and sinful, putting on display the glory of God's mercy. And when you look at Jesus, you see the glory of God. And some of you have had your eyes open to it. Some of you haven't, but it's the only place you're ever going to find what God is like, is you're going to look at Jesus. So when the Bible says God wants to make known the riches of his glory, it means God wants to make known the worth of his Son. The riches of God's glory equals, this is, they're really synonymous phrases, I think. The riches of God's glory equals the worth of God's Son. God wants everyone to see how much Jesus is worth. And this is God's goal for the universe, which brings us back to what we saw last week about God and who he is and why he does what he does. The most fundamental thing to understand about God is that he is a father who has a son that he loves. And he wants everyone to see the worth of his Son. And to join him in loving him. We found this in John 17. I'm going to read Jesus' prayer that we looked at last week again, just so you can see Jesus' own words, as how he expresses the point of all of this. What is God up to with all of it? Jesus prays to his father, says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am. This is his prayer for us. He wants us to go to heaven and be with him and to see my glory. Do you, do you, do you get this? This is the whole point of it all, to see the glory of Jesus. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that. Here's the end statement of the whole goal. In order that. The love you have for me. So the love God has for Jesus. God wants that love to be in us and for Jesus himself by his spirit to be in us. So remember what we saw last week, the three purposes of God for everything, the goal of it all, how God defines the win, what does it look like for God to win at the end of the day? Jesus wants us to be with him. He wants us to see his glory so that we love him with the Father's love. The win for God, and we'll put it a little bit differently to fit today's message. The win for God is that we see the worth of Jesus and love him above all else forever. And so this is what God is up to in the world. Everything he does is to express and share the love he has for his son. He created you and me so that we would join him in this. He wants us to see the worth of Jesus and join him in loving him above all else, which brings us back full circle to the biblical concept of hell, and where hell fits into all this. Now, before we get to some of the horrifying specifics of what hell is like, let's just take a step back for a minute, because we have to understand, why does it even exist? Why is there a place like hell? And how, does it, how is it consistent with the God of love? And so I think this might be the most important thought you'll walk away with, with today. This idea of, of how could a God of love even allow a place like hell to exist? How could he ever send someone there? And, and here's the way I understand it according to the scripture. Hell is consistent with a God of love because Jesus is the supreme object of God's love. We were created to share the Father's love for Jesus. So if we join God in loving Jesus, we get eternal life and joy. But if we refuse to join God in loving Jesus, all that's left for us is his wrath. A loving God creates hell to express his love for what he loves most. A loving God creates hell to express his supreme love for his Son. So in some weird way, according to the biblical mindset, hell is actually an expression of God's love. It is not inconsistent with his love. It's just we've got to come to grips with this thought that God has a supreme object of his love. And that's his son. And everything else exists to join him in loving his son. The reason there's a place like hell, is because there are people who reject God's Son. And the intensity of God's love for His Son becomes the intensity of His wrath toward those who reject Him. Here's the graphic way it's stated in Psalm 2. Just listen to this from Psalm 2. Then He will speak to them in His wrath. "...and terrify them in his fury." So this is God will do this. God will speak to them in his wrath... "...and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me..." God is speaking. "...as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage." Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Do you see what God is up to? Kiss the son. Take refuge in him. Join the father in loving his son. If you will not, the intensity of God's love for his son will become the intensity of his wrath toward you. This is what hell is. The expression of God's wrath toward those who reject Jesus as an expression of his love for Jesus and an expression of his love for all those who will join him in loving Jesus. God is love, but Jesus is the supreme object of his love. Now, I realize this is a difficult thought for people to accept. As I've shared this and I've been thinking about this and studying it through the scripture and talking about it, this is not an easy thought for people to accept. We've always heard That God is love and he loves everyone the same, right? This This is a common thing that people say, that God loves everyone the same. And let me tell you something, that is just simply not true. You will not find any talk like that in the Bible. He does not love everyone the same. God is righteous, which means fundamentally God loves most what is most lovable, He values most what is most valuable. He does not love everything. Some things are more lovable and valuable than other things. Whatever most fully reflects him and his glory is most lovable. This is what it means for God to be righteous. He always does what is right. And if you think about this, you know this is true. Something is right... ...when it reflects a value for things that are more valuable than other things. That's what what it means for something to be right versus wrong. God is never wrong. He never has his values mixed up. He never ascribes a greater worth to something that's not really worth it. He is righteous. He loves most what is most lovable... And and the thing that is most lovable and valuable in the entire universe is the Son of God Himself. Jesus is who God loves most. And this is what it means for Him to be righteous. He will never be unrighteous. To put it another way, God will never be an idolater, He will never have any God above Jesus. His one and only Son is the object of God's love. And so if you reject God's plan for you to love Jesus and become like Him, you'll suffer His wrath. And the reason for the wrath is that it's right. It is right for God to do this. It is right for us to suffer infinite wrath when we commit crimes against infinite glory. Now you think about it for a minute. The severity of a crime. Isn't it true that the severity of a crime is determined by who it's against? Test this for me for a minute. If you kill a mosquito, people will thank you. If you kill a dog, you'll pay a fine. You might spend some time in jail. You kill another human being, you'll probably get life in prison. You kill the president, you'll probably get the death penalty. So what do you suppose might happen? If you commit crimes against the infinite glory of the Son of God. And instinctively, we know this is true. The severity of a crime is defined by who it's against. And this is how God sees sin. We got to understand this this idea of being murderous toward God's Son, killing God's Son, this is how God views it when we sin. God sees sin, the refusal of people to love Jesus and embrace his image in them as the attempt to kill Jesus. And you might not have understood this is how God viewed it when you told a lie. He views it as murderous, treasonous behavior. Here's what the scripture says about people who turn away from Jesus. Hebrews 6 :6 says, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. This is how God sees it. Our sin is what nailed Jesus to the cross. When we lie, we jab a spear into Jesus' side. When we steal, we crush a crown of thorns onto his head. When we're filled with selfishness, greed, anger, bitterness, and lust, we are driving nails into his hands and feet. And these are not just words. When you read the scripture, this is really how God experiences our sin. It is murderous, treasonous behavior in his eyes. He views us as his enemies if we refuse to turn from our sin. Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received knowledge of the truth... No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. In God's mind, rejecting Jesus is an infinite crime that makes us his enemies who deserve an infinite punishment. And this is why hell is so horrible and why hell is eternal, It corresponds to the worth of God's Son, who's the radiance of God's glory, the express image of his person. Wrath shows worth, and in God's eyes, Jesus is worth it. And this is the idea behind hell. Another word the Bible uses to express the horror of hell is the word vengeance. I don't like that word. Here's what the scriptures say. It says, leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So God's going to take vengeance on everyone who rejects his son. And this is right. It upholds the worth of the glory of God's son. Now, what I want to do for just the next couple of minutes, before we transition into how in the world could this possibly be good news for anybody, I just want to show you. I want to make the bad news worse for a moment. And I want to walk you through just a description of of how the Bible describes hell. I just want to read some Bible passages. Just one after another. I'm barely going to comment on them. And I got to tell you, as I was writing this message, these verses put a pit in my stomach. They literally made me sick to my stomach. I don't like what I'm about to read to you. And, And by the way, I don't believe God likes what I'm about to read to you. Listen to this. Most of these are the words of Jesus himself. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. They will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might on the day He comes to be glorified in His holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. The unbeliever will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of His anger, and He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb." And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night. God cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death The lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And that's just a sampling of what the Bible says about hell. It is everywhere in the Bible. Just a bullet point what we just saw hell, according to Jesus in the Bible, is a place of sadness, it's a place of anger, a place of eternal fire. A place of gloom and utter darkness, a place shut out from the goodness of God, a place of God's wrath and anger, a place of everlasting destruction for soul and body, a place of punishment, suffering, and torment forever, and a place of no rest day or night. This is what God feels our sins deserve. And that's a sobering thought because every last person in this room has sinned against God. This is what he thinks our sins deserve because Jesus is of infinite worth. And our sins are infinite crimes. Now, before you conclude that that's bad news, that that Jesus The the, the worth of Jesus is infinite. It might sound at first like Jesus being of infinite worth is really bad news for us. But here's where things take a turn. (laughs) The infinite worth of Jesus is the greatest news you've ever heard. Because what it means is there is one who is worth enough to pay your debt. You owe an infinite debt to God. And God, in this mind-boggling plan, allowed us to fall into sin and become his enemies. And right in the middle of it, to send the one he loves most into the world to show us his glory and to save us to come and, and literally to be the one who could pay the debt, the only one who could. Do you have any idea what it cost God to send his son into the world to become human? And Do you know the infinite son of God, the, the one who was with the Father in creating heaven and earth, the glorious one, the one who speaks and the universe flies into existence, that one became a man and was born in a barn so that he could live a sinless life on earth to show us his worth, to show us his glory. And the most glorious moment of them all is when he laid down his life on a Roman cross and bore the full infinite weight of our sin. It's the greatest news in the world that Jesus is of infinite worth. It's our only hope. It also means there's a place called hell. He is worth that much. Thank God he's worth that much. And you don't have to go there because his payment for you will wipe your sins away. And the only thing you have to do... The only thing you have to do is see the glory and share the love. That's it. Jesus did the rest. Here's what Jesus said. He says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. That's a striking verse. Now, based on this verse, who does God love and make his home with? Jesus says, If you love me, my Father will love you. And he says it again in verse 21. He says this The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. This is as simple as how it works. God is a father who has a son that he loves. You join him in loving his son, and and you become the object of God's love. And and, and the wonder of all wonders is, when, when you join God in loving his son, his love for Jesus becomes his love for you. You become what God loves most. Because you're sharing in it with him through the one Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who carries and shares the love for Jesus that the Father has is now in us. We literally become one with the love that the Father has for His Son. That's mind-blowing. Everything that belongs to Jesus becomes ours. Full heirs of God, children of God, sons and daughters adopted into His family. It's the greatest news anybody could ever hear. But it only exists because Jesus is who God loves. And He is of infinite worth. Which means there is a place called hell. Who goes to hell? Everyone who does not love Jesus. Hell is real, hell is horrible. God shows his wrath in order to show the worth of his son. Which means showing his wrath is an expression of love for his son. But that's not all. Hell is not only an expression of God's love for his son. It's also an expression of God's love for everyone who joins him in loving his son. And this is where it gets really hard emotionally to handle. I think you'll get it intellectually. Emotionally, it's it's hard to figure out how you could ever think this is a good thing. But just try it out for a minute. The existence of hell will intensify our enjoyment of heaven. I, I really do think you'll agree with this intellectually, if not emotionally. It will intensify our enjoyment of heaven. Our enjoyment of God's mercy. Think about yourself as one who has been saved by God's grace. And you know, think about that moment when you get to heaven and and you realize you don't deserve to be there. You didn't do anything to deserve this. And you know there are people who aren't there. The fact that there's a hell where people actually go is going to make God's mercy appear as big as it really is. You would never know what mercy was if you didn't have wrath to compare it to. You'd never know what pleasure was if you didn't have pain to compare it to. There are some things that you just can't see clearly without a backdrop of some kind. And God has chosen to show His wrath so we can see the worth of God's Son and the riches of His mercy toward us. It will intent, the fact that there's a hell will intensify your enjoyment of God's mercy forever. It'll be fuller than if hell didn't exist. And in order for heaven to be heaven, now really think about this one: in order for heaven to be heaven, everything that hinders our enjoyment of it must be removed all causes of sin, all causes of suffering, all causes of pain, all causes of death must be removed in order for heaven to be heaven. Heaven would not be heaven if people who didn't love Jesus were there. Heaven is for loving Jesus. That's what it's for. You can't have anyone who doesn't love Jesus there. They must be removed. All lying, stealing, cheating, hatred, violence, lust, selfishness, and murder must be removed. If they weren't removed, heaven would be just like earth. And who wants that? Nobody wants that, right? We're looking forward to getting out of this world because there are so many people that don't love Jesus. The the, the refusal to love Jesus and follow him is the cause of all that is wrong with this world. Only those who join God in loving Jesus forever can remain. The existence of hell will intensify our enjoyment of heaven as a backdrop for God's mercy and as the removal of everything that would hinder it. This will be a good thing at the end. And I know emotionally that's hard. But listen, even if you don't yet love Jesus, if you're sitting in this room today, God's all-consuming love for Jesus is amazingly good news for you if you're still breathing. There is still time for you. The Bible says God created us in the image of Jesus, and I don't think we often realize how incredible that is for us. The fact that God made us in the image of Jesus means there is something about us that God can never stop loving. No matter how sinful we become, The echoes and the shadows of Jesus' image in us are never completely removed. Which means God is highly motivated to rescue us and save us and to restore the image of Jesus in us. God wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to walk around as a living testimony to the glory of Jesus. It's what he created you for and he's highly motivated to make it happen. Here's what God's goal is at the end of the day. Those whom he foreknew, it says in Romans eight twenty nine, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, not just a few. God's got a great multitude that nobody can even count in mind, as the as the, the sons and daughters and the brothers and sisters in his kingdom. God is highly motivated to save this lost world because it shows the greatness of his son. God loves Jesus so much, he wants everyone to be like him. He wants you to be like him. He's highly motivated to make it happen. But if you reject God's plan, then you will suffer his wrath. Heaven is for people who love Jesus and want to be like him. So be honest today in the room. Do you love Jesus and want to be like him? If you don't, if you don't love him and want to be just like him, when you look at Jesus, if you don't see everything you want to be, you won't even like heaven. Because that's all it is. Heaven is a bunch of people loving Jesus and becoming just like him. And so if you don't want this, God is not going to force you. He's going to give you what you want. If you don't want Jesus, you don't have to have him. You'll get the complete absence of Jesus if that's what you want, which means, however, the complete absence of God's love, the complete absence of God's joy, the complete absence of God's peace, the complete absence of pleasure in anything good. Jesus is the source of all of it. Join God in loving his son and receive it. If you refuse, you will get what you want. You will not like it. God will not force you. The choice is yours. He's done everything he can and is still doing it every day in this world, trying to draw people to Jesus. Jesus. And make no mistake, God will not enjoy sending people to hell. This is not what God wants in and of itself. Do you ever have something that that you wanted on the one hand, but there was something else you wanted more? And so you you, you tolerate this thing that you don't really want, but because there's something else you want so much more, you, you tolerate this. That's hell for God. Hell shows the worth of Jesus. He will do it. He doesn't want to send you there. He will. Here's what the scripture says, how he feels emotionally. It's, it's good to get a picture into God's heart sometimes on these things. Here's what it says in Ezekiel 33. And hear this as a word from God to you. As surely as I live, declares the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die? Why? You could just hear God begging you. Why? Why would you reject my son? What is it about him you don't like? Don't you know that he's the love you're searching for? He's the joy you're searching for. He's the peace you're searching for. He's the freedom you're longing for. Why would you turn from him? Turn to Jesus. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Love him. And everything you've ever dreamed of and wanted will be yours. I will not keep any good thing from you if you join me in loving my son. But if you don't, my righteousness requires me to send you to a place where you will be punished Forever. That is how much Jesus is worth. Jesus came into this world to save us, not to condemn us. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Jesus is calling to you. He's saying, come to me. All you who are weary, all you who are burdened, come to me. I will give you rest. Turn to me. I am worth it. Heavenly Father Thank you for Sending your son to save us Thank you for opening My eyes To see his glory Thank you for doing that for so many of us In this room God I know there are people in this room That haven't seen it Lord would you you open their blind eyes today Lord help them to see What's really there The glorious, beautiful, incredible, amazing, majestic Son of God, filled with love and joy and peace that He wants to shower on them. Forgiveness of sins, Lord. I pray, God, let every single person in this room see the glory of your Son and join you in loving Him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.